not a, a huge fan of reality television shows centered around a theme of cooking. Uh, however, there is one that I have become fond of, and when I can catch it, I do enjoy it. It's called Kitchen Nightmares. Uh, Kitchen Nightmares uh, st is, is starring Chef Gordon Ramsay. And the whole premise of the show is uh, this chef goes uh, into a restaurant that needs revitalization. And he goes there because they have called him there for help. But each restaurant that Chef Ramsay goes into normally has three qualities about it. The first quality that I, I see in the restaurant is that the owner, even though he's called for help, is a bit arrogant. He had some success early on, he or she, but now no one can tell them nothing. The second quality that I see is that the restaurant uh, had normally begun to, to lose its purpose. Restaurants are supposed to serve quality food and quality service. But most restaurants that call on Shelf Ramsey have, uh, they begin to cut corners. The food quality is low, and the service is no longer well. The third quality I see is that there are normally divisions in and among the kitchen staff. Waiters kind of pocket, get into different schisms and, and, and pocket, and you have one group that don't like the other group, and you have the chefs not working with the servants, and it's a hot mess. But what I like is Chef Ramsey kind of goes into these situations and within a, a matter of time, he begins to, to see what's going on and to systemically and systematically correct what is wrong. Almost always, somebody ends up getting fired. Almost always, somebody ends up going off on him and he ends up going off on him. But, but most of the time, by the time that episode is over, Chef Ramsey has revitalized that kitchen nightmare. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17, we see the Apostle Paul kind of having an episode with the church at Corinth that can be called church nightmares. The church at Corinth had some serious problems. They had lost focus on what mattered most. Instead of providing and promoting the world with Jesus, they began to promote themselves. They were a very gifted church. In chapter 1, verse 4, Paul boasts on how they have every spiritual gift and lack nothing. But instead of worshiping the giver of the gifts, they find themselves worshiping the gifts themselves. Second, we see throughout the book of Corinth that Paul is talking to this church about the pride that they have. Because they have become arrogant, and each one is exalting himself over the other. And the third thing we see at the church of Corinth is that there is divisions and schisms. People are breaking off into cliques. And Paul is writing this letter, and, so, and specifically in chapter 1, verse 10 through 17, because he wants this church to be revitalized in order that Jesus will be made famous among those who are in the city of Corinth. 
If you can stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hand. And let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 17. What you hold in your hand is the inerrant word of God. It is without error. It is majestic. It is wonderful. It was written in three different languages on multiple continents by over 30 authors. And they all have the same message. Jesus is Lord. No contradiction. This is wonderful. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did not baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptize anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Paul is right in the church of Corinth, and if we were to summarize all that he is saying here, he is basically telling this church to promote Jesus, not prejudices, not other people, not pastors, not personal interests. If the church of the living God is going to move the community in which it's in, it's because Jesus is being promoted. It's because the giver is being worshipped and not the gifts. We see that Paul, as he is coming into the church that he planted, a church that he probably started about two and a half, three years ago, while he was in Corinth for a year and a half, He has now left and he has heard of of the way that things are going at Corinth. And now he is right in his church in order to set things in order. Look at verse 10. He makes an appeal. He, He makes an appeal to this church and he does it by really focusing on two things. The first thing is he focuses on how the church is to be a family. He reminds the church of his familial call. Look how he starts off. I appeal to you, brothers. I appeal to you, brothers. And that's what he's been doing uh, so far in the church of Corinth. When you look at chapter 1, and if you go up to verse number 2, we see that Paul is trying to remind them of who they are in Christ and the family of God. Verse 2, he says, called to be saints together, with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. The church is to to be a family. We are called to be together and to worship Jesus together. We see that he continues to talk in this with this familiar language, um, even in verse nine. For he says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. We were called to be together. We were called to be united in Jesus Christ because we were adopted into the family of God. 
If there's any place that should be division-free and and arrogance-free, if there's any place that should have an aroma of life and unity, it should be among the people of God, the church of God. And we've got to remind ourselves that we are brothers. That word in the Greek, Adolpha, is both was used to represent both brothers and sisters. It was, a, it was used for siblings often. He's saying brothers and, and sisters, remember that you are not a, a part of a, a pagan hedonistic family. You are a part of a spiritual family that is marked differently by your natural families. We see he continues to use that language in verse 11. For it has rep- been reported, among, uh, reported to me by uh, Cleo's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. That's the first thing he grounds his appeal in. He grounds it in the fact that they are family. But the second thing we see here is that he grounds his appeal for unity and for Jesus to be promoted in the supremacy of Jesus. Look at what he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, listen, we all should be unified because we're a part of a new family. But we should be unified because of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a loaded term. Lord, sovereign ruler, Jesus, God saves, Christ the Messiah, or the anointed one. And this isn't the first time that he's used this term. In 10 verses, he uses this term 10 times. In 17 verses, he uses the term the Lord Jesus Christ or Christ our Lord 14 times. He's saying that a church that is going to be revitalized, a church that's going to be unified, is a church that rallies around the Lordship of Jesus. Not the desire of its individual members to be Lord. That's why he calls the church the church of God at Corinth in verse 3. When a church has divisions, when a church has schisms, it is because the church is not living in the spirit. It's because the church is living in the flesh. A lot of times when we think about the book of Galatians and the fruit of the Spirit, we individualize it, right? Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. We, we make it an individual thing. But Paul, in the context of Galatians chapter 5, is talking to the church as a group and as a whole. Look what he says. Verse number, let's start at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions and divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all things like the and, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So while there's an individual aspect, this is a communal message that he sent in the church at Corinth. When a church has these qualities, it is because Jesus is not being promoted. 
It is because Jesus is not supreme. In fact, most of these qualities as mentioned here in Galatians, as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll see that these are the problems that Paul is addressing. But a church that is walking in the spirit, a church that is making much of Jesus, a church that is promoting Jesus, not personal interest and prejudice and people and pastors, is a church that is walking in the fruit of the spirit. They're walking in love. You come into the atmosphere, you're like, man, this is a loving church. It's a church that's full of joy. You're like, man, this church is dope. Everybody has joy. It it is a church that is full of patience and kindness and and peace and and long-suffering. So Paul makes this appeal. He says, be united as a family. Be united around the lordship of Jesus. Because when we're not united around the lordship of Jesus, things go crazy. Christians go wild. In James chapter 3, we read these words, starting at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For with jealousy and selfish ambition, that's personal interest. Where jealousy and selfish ambitions exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from, a, from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere. So Paul wants this church not to, not to be demonic, <laughs> not to be earthly. Not to be divided, because wherever there's division, if there's division in your home, it is because someone is walking and living in the flesh. If there's division between a husband and a wife, and they both say that they're Christians, it's always because of sin. It's always because someone is being selfish. If there's division among you and and your co-workers or or your classmates, it's always because there is selfish ambition. Someone is not walking in the wisdom of Christ, but rather they are banking all of their hopes and dreams on being right or being the main person that everyone looks to. There's selfish ambition. So Paul is talking to this church at Corinth and he is trying to encourage them, make an appeal to make Jesus the center of your lives. Spend your time promoting him and not yourself. And then he goes on and he says these words. And I believe that this is a thesis. This is the centerpiece of the whole book. What we're going to read in verse number 10. That all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. This is what he wants the church at Corinth to to realize. The first four chapters is built upon this statement. That there be no disagreement. That they have the same mind. You know, we hear that and it's like, man, that's impossible. But it's not. When Jesus Christ is who the church is rallying around and promoting, this is possible. In the book of Acts, we see the church 
making the resurrected Jesus the center of their worship and the center of their lives. And the Bible says that they are, were on one accord. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says the same exact words to the church of Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, he says the same words to the church of Philippi again. He repeats it. He says, be of the same mind, be of the same accord. In chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he calls the church of Philippi out. He says, yo, there's two women who are not on accord. Tell them to get it together. He expects complete unity. The problem is why the church and why we don't experience this, this, this unity is because we, allow, we don't promote Jesus, we, we promote ourselves. We allow our personal interests and we allow our prejudices to rule us rather than what Jesus wants. We allow little things that don't matter to consume us because we want to be on display. We want to feel significant. We want people to look to us for advice. Quite honestly, we want to be worshipped. And where our ideas aren't accepted, we get flustered. And we cause disunity. Because things didn't go our way. Paul is saying it's not about your way or my way. It's about God's way. It's about Jesus Christ being supreme and being lifted. So we see the church of Philippi was having a a hard time with that. We see that they were really struggling. Now, as Christians, we have to be careful to make sure that our differences don't become our divisions. As a husband and a wife, don't let your differences become division. We are all from different backgrounds and we have different experiences and we like to do things different way. And it's good to be different. Black is born. White is born. Gray is born. Somebody just got really teed off. What? You saying my suit is born? I got on black today. What you saying? I'm saying that, 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 that different is good. It's good to have a box of crayons that have 64 colors. What kid wants to color with a a black crayon and a white crayon all day? No, we want diversity. But oftentimes we allow our differences to cause divisions. Paul is saying, no, we can be united if we keep the main thing the main thing. And we remove ourselves from the middle and put Jesus in the middle. Now, there are some things where we will fight for. The essential things, the 17th uh, century uh, writer said, the essential things, there needs to be unity. The non-essential things, there needs to be mutual tolerance. But in all things, there there needs to be love. And that's what unity is. True unity says the essential things. When it comes to talking about the lordship of Jesus, When it comes to talking about salvation, it's by grace alone, through faith alone. When it comes to talking about the exclusivity of salvation being in Christ alone, we can't disagree there. If we disagree there, uh, uh, you're not a part of the church. But when it comes to talking about other matters that are not salvific issues, we need to tolerate each other. But in all that, we need to love each other. 
Paul is really trying to hone in and, and, and narrow in on this subject. In verse 11, he tells us, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. He says there's quarreling among you, quarreling, division, gossip. It's satanic. James chapter 3 says it's demonic. He said it is earthly. He says it is unspiritual. Quarreling, arguing is demonic. It's satanic. The next time you're in an argument with someone and it's getting heated, remind yourself that Satan is present. Satan is present. And that's what was going on here. I love what Paul says. Look at verse 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people. So he's saying, I, I've heard some things. Now, we don't know who Chloe is, but whoever she is, she has uh, some, some pull because everybody at Corinth must have knew. And he says that by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. And this is what is happening. He's getting specific. This is what I'm hearing. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. I follow Paul. Paul planted this church. He started this church. Man, the Bible says in Acts chapter 18 that every Saturday he was in a Jewish synagogue preaching. And then he got some relief from Timothy and Silas, and he was able to do that full time and not be a tent maker for a while. And every day he was reasoning with the Jews. The Jews rejected him. He went to the Gentiles and, and he set up a church right next door to the Jewish synagogue. And the Bible says that life began to happen. Synagogue leaders were saved as well as people out of Corinth were being saved. So he started this church. And now there's some people who are saying they're boasting and say, yeah, yeah, Paul's the pastor that I follow. And then after Paul, there came a man by the name of Apollos. In Acts chapter 18, in the beginning of Acts chapter 19, we learned that Apollos was uh, baptized by John the Baptist. And the Bible says this about Apollos. It says that he was an eloquent man and a great speaker. He was mighty in the scriptures. So some people are saying, you know what? I don't follow Paul. I don't really like Paul's style. I follow Apollos. And they were boasting about the fact that they don't listen to Paul's preaching. They listen to Apollos preaching. And then there was another group like, man, y'all got it all wrong. Both of them, they're all right. You know, they're all right. But my preacher, the preacher that I listen to, the preacher that I rally around is Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. It's Peter's name. We read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 around the fifth verse that the church were, was familiar with Peter. And they were familiar with his wife. He was a mighty man of God, a mighty preacher, one of the original 12 disciples. And they're finding their significance, and they're boasting on that. Then you had the other group, and they were like, man, y'all got it all wrong. I don't follow any of those suckers. I follow Jesus Christ. Man, they were the super spiritual people. They were the folks that's like, I don't listen to none of their preaching. Me and Jesus, we've got a thing going on that nobody else understands. That's who I go to. And we all have met people where you can't really, nope. I follow Jesus. You don't follow Jesus like I follow Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but Jesus speaks to me differently. See, I don't have to go to church. I go to Bedside Baptist, and Jesus meets me there. See, I don't have to pay tithes, and I don't pay offering, and I, and I don't get involved in a church because me and Jesus got a special thing going on, you know? 
You know? You don't understand. You don't understand. I walk with the Lord. Jesus walks. I walk with him. And they were doing two things. The first thing they were doing by promoting these preachers is that they were connecting their identity to them. They were name dropping. They were name dropping. Have you ever been around someone, and, and I think all of us is guilty to some degree, of name dropping? Or just waiting to the conversation can go the, the way that you want it to go so that you can kind of slip in that you know somebody? Oh, that's my cousin. Michael Jordan is your cousin? Fifth cousin once removed, right? Just, just trying to say something and connect something or to someone so that other people will say, man, you've really got it going on. You're really special. You, are, you went to that school, you're really smart. You visited that place? Wow, look how great you are. That's demonic. That's demonic because we're seeking to find our significance outside of Jesus. We are connecting our significance to a person to a degree, to a car, and to a home. And what that does is it creates, in the church, it creates a divided church where everybody is trying to one-up the other person. But in the kingdom of God, in the church of God, that's not the way things are done. We find our identity in Jesus and what he did for us in the, on the cross, that's what defines us. Not our, our titles and our status and who we can closely relate to. Is that something that you find yourself doing? Those insecurities make us unbalanced because the moment we can't brag or boast or get a compliment, or get notice, we begin to trip. Nobody care about me. Why, why, why? I never get noticed. I work just as hard as this person. Well, since they're not treating me like this, I'm going to treat them like that. And it just creates an atmosphere that's unstable. Paul is saying, forget that I follow. The second thing that, that they're, they're doing is they're treating the gift that God gave them in a way that God didn't intend it to be treated. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that God gave the church gifts. And part of the gifts that God gave the church was pastors. It's a gift. God wants us to appreciate pastors to appreciate Sunday school teachers. And the Bible says, honor them, but our allegiance should not be to them. There's a difference between appreciating something and having our allegiance connected to them. So many churches have 
their allegiance to their pastor. And how do you know when your allegiance is to your pastor? When the moment somebody starts talking about, are you a Christian? The first thing you do is you mention your pastor. Or you mention your church. Yes, I'm a Christian. My pastor is all that. You should come to our church. And the whole time they're talking about their pastor. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you the story about how God saved me. About how I was once dead and God made me alive. About how I was lost and I was that one sheep and and God came and grabbed me and put me on his shoulder. Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm not a perfect Christian. But I'm a Christian. And I, I celebrate my Christian life amongst a group of believers that meet at Forest Baptist Church. Some churches and some pastors, they, they want the church to be about them. You, you know, we try really hard at Forest Baptist Church to not let that be the case. Uh, but some churches and some pastors, they've got their face splattered on everything. You walk into the church, it's a picture of them. You go around the corner, it's a picture of them. You open the bulletin, it's five pictures of them. Every event, it's a picture of them. Website, it's a picture of them. It's like, man, you got a free subscription to JCPenney's or something? Like, you got on a different suit every time. This wasn't even the same day. You don't don't have a beard on this picture. On this picture, you do. But they're centering the church around themselves. And I've seen it happen time and time again. When that pastor leaves, divisions happen. The church can't move on in unity because Jesus was not supreme. That pastor was supreme. At Forest, we don't want fans. The pastors here don't want fans. We're one. When one speaks, we all speak. We don't want, I follow this person, I follow that person, I follow this person. We want a church that follows Christ. We want a church that when people come in, they say, Jesus is Lord. We want a church when people leave, they say, man, I learned about Jesus. I worship Jesus. They sang about Jesus. And by God's grace, the worship leader and the pastors gave us Jesus. Some of us, we're we're, we're missing that mark, aren't we? Because if our favorite preacher or if our Sunday school teacher is in there, oh, they're not here? I'm going to such and such church. Huh? Oh, I think my pastor's on vacation. Not not at Forest Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church down the street. I've been waiting to go visit another church. Pastor Jamal didn't hug me the right way. So I'm not showing up until the next pastor preaches. Look at your neighbor and say, you tripping. As long as the person who is standing behind the pulpit is preaching Jesus. I love how Paul handles the church at Corinth at that point. He says, 
Some say I follow Paul, others say I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and the others super spiritual. I don't follow anybody. I follow Jesus. It's like, that's the trump card, right? Like, what do you say to that? No, what Paul is saying, we all follow Jesus, but we can't use that as an excuse to be arrogant, to wiggle out of discipline. Verse number 13. So Paul is going to put before us three rhetorical questions. This is amazing what he does. And what he's doing here is he is addressing his followers. So he's like, I'm not about to talk about Apollo's followers. I'm not about to talk about Cephas' followers. I want my followers to listen up because I got a word for you. Look at what he says. Is Christ divided? It's rhetorical. The church of Corinth would have been like, no, Christ isn't divided. He was resurrected. And he had all of his limbs. What is he talking about? <laughs> He's like, no, if, if Christ's body was not divided, then the body of Christ should not be divided. Was Paul crucified for you? They would have been rolling. <laughs> Paul crucified for me? Of course not. And when you're tempted to link yourself with a person or a pastor in order to name drop, remind yourself that that person wasn't crucified for you. That person did not take 39 slashes, save one. They did not walk the Via Della Rosa. They were not hung on Golgotha's cross. Whoever you are connecting to and finding your identity in, if they were not crucified for you in 33 AD, it is foolish. Because that person will fail you. And God will let that person fail you. I will fail you. And by God's grace, I will repent before you. These men will fail you. Every Bible person and personality failed. You look at Hebrews chapter 11, it's full of people who failed, but who made it in the hall of faith. Walter Payton is in the hall of fame, and Walter Payton failed many times. He missed making that first down many times, but he's in the hall of fame not because he, he failed. He's in the hall of fame because he got up. And he led courageously. Paul's like, none of these persons were perfect. None of us are perfect. And I wasn't crucified for you. Don't give me your allegiance. He, and, and Paul is so into it, and, and, and his perspective has been so radically transformed that he counts all of these things as rubbish. Philippians chapter 3, he says, this stuff is rubbish. All of my accomplishments, my degrees, where I study. It is rubbish. He calls it dung. It's like, don't worship me. I'm the, I'm the chief of all sinners. Third question. Look at your Bibles. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They're like, no. Silly. The Great Commission, we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Name, character. Were you baptized in my character, according to my witness? No, we were baptized into Jesus' family, Jesus' character, and Jesus' witness. You know, there's a thing called fool's gold. Anybody ever heard of fool's gold? Fool's gold is, uh, is made up of iron uh, uh, firing, okay? And what it is, is during a gold rush, 
miners would go and they would mine and they would see a mineral that was very similar to gold. It was, it was brass. And they would get that mineral, they would clean it up, and they would take it in to exchange it, only to find out that it wasn't real gold. So for a short amount of time, they were excited, and they felt fulfilled, and they thought that they had hit it rich, only to find out that it was worth nothing. When we seek significance in anything or anyone other than Jesus, it's fool's gold. It may excite us for a minute. We may feel good that everybody complimented us. We may feel good that we won an argument. We may feel good that in Bible study we were able to quote three verses and explain a verse that nobody else understood. But that feeling is going to soon fade away. Yes, you may win an argument with your spouse, but it's fool's gold. Paul is trying to offer them something that's greater than fool's gold. Something that's greater than gold. And that's Jesus. It's like promoting a pastor, promoting a leader, name dropping, promoting your gifts. It's like going to Disney World, going to King's Island, got your family, you got your friends, and you pull up to Disney World, and there's a sign that says Disney World. And you get out of the car, and you huddle around the sign, and you take pictures, and you're all excited. (laughs) And then you say, let's just stay here. Let's just camp out at this sign. And everybody's like, no, this is a sign. This isn't Disney World. This isn't, this isn't what we came for. This is just a sign pointing to Disney World. A pastor, a preacher, a person who's discipling you, a mother, a father, they're just a sign. They're not meant to be worshipped. If they're in Christ, they are pointing to you to something that is greater. John the Baptist came and he was preaching in the wilderness. People were asking, are you the Christ? And he says, no. They said, who are you? He said, I'm just a voice. You're what? I'm just a voice. Crying in the wilderness. That's all you are. That's all I am. If we're Christians, we're just voices. Crying in the wilderness. We are just pointing people to the Lamb of God. just a voice. We should appreciate the voice. We should honor the voice when appropriate. But we shouldn't worship the voice. I love what Paul does here. Verse 14 uh, through 16. So he's, he, he just gets stuck right there. You know, he's like, was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? They're like, no, this dude is crazy. He's like, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. So he's like, man, I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, because that's probably what they were doing. Most people were boasting about who baptized them. That's what we see happening in Acts. Oh, I received the baptism of John, right? They're connecting themselves to who dumped them in the water. Um, 
And Paul's like, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. He names two people, Crispus. Crispus we read about in Acts chapter 18. He was a synagogue leader, meaning he was a Jew. Paul preached the word. By God's grace, he came to faith. And then he led his whole family to Jesus. Gaius, we read about in Romans chapter 16, verse 23. He was a great host, had grace, hospitality. Paul says, I baptized them. And uh, look at what he does here. He kind of has a senior moment. Verse 15, so that none, none of you may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone. Now, that's funny because he's like, I baptized Christmas and Gaius. And then he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I baptized Stephanus too. And we read about him in uh, the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. He was actually present with Paul while writing the letter. So he probably, Paul was probably dictating, telling them what he's writing. And he's like, yo, Paul, you baptized me too. And he's like, oh, yeah, and I baptized him too. But this is just a wonderful reminder of verbal plenary inspiration. What that means is, is, is simply how the Bible was written. The Bible is inspired by God. It's, it's theonousos. God breathed. God inspired it. But God used the personality and education of the writers. So the Bible is perfect, but it was men who were writing it. So in moments like these, you see the humanity of the person writing it, even though the message is divine. I baptize none of you. Let's close it out here in verse number 17. And this is where he's getting at. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, is Paul belittling baptism or diminishing baptism? No. He's just saying like, Christ didn't send me to do that. That's not the main reason I was called. You all are not focused on the main thing. He said the main thing, the reason that I was called was to, to preach the gospel. Why is preaching the main thing? Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. So often we lose sight of what the main thing is, where the power lies in the church. The power lies in the preaching of God's word. We'll learn next week what most people call foolishness. God uses to confound the wise. Why? Chapter 10, verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing the riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That word calls means sincerely call. Who sincerely says that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And who believes that in the depths of their soul. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul is saying, I can care less about who I baptize. Baptism is not my priority. It is an outward sign or symbol of an inward commitment that is the first act, public act of obedience that believers do. But it is not where the power rests. Someone who says that you have to believe in order to be saved, you take them here. No. The power rests in preaching Jesus. Look at what he says. 1 Corinthians. Preaching Jesus because only when they hear the preaching of Jesus can they be saved. The message of Jesus. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom. This is huge what he says here. Least the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. See, the church at Corinth, they were, they were Greeks. It was a very educated city. The church was very educated. We read that in like verse uh, uh, 5 of chapter 1. Very educated church. And Greeks, they were really into rhetoric. They were really into communication. Order style. They really were into wordsmith. Apollos was a wordsmith. He was an eloquent speaker, but praise God, that's not where his power rested. The Bible says that he was mighty in the scriptures. So this was the type of church that said, give me a show. They showed up and they said, give me eloquent wisdom. Play, play, do a play of words for me. Do a, do a fun, fun rhyme. Put together some words that's going to woo me and that's going to move me. They were saying, this preacher can preach because he says fun stuff like, stop laying and playing, huffing and puffing, whining and dining. This preacher can preach because he is just so eloquent. He goes in between Latin and Hebrew and Aramaic. He knows what the latest philosophers are saying. He can really preach. This preacher can preach because he can hoop. Oh, child. When he hoops, that leg goes up and he's sweating. And he drops it like it's hot, brings it back up. Ah, Jesus! Ah! He'll make a way. Who won't he make a way? He'll make it out of no way. And that's good. If it's substance. Oh, y'all know it's true. I feel my health coming on. Well. And if the preacher didn't do that, oh, he didn't preach. I don't know what's wrong with pastor. He hadn't hooped in a long time. Somebody buy that man some handkerchiefs. Maybe he don't have handkerchiefs and he don't want to sweat. But see, this is the problem with eloquent wisdom. 
When we leave, well, what did the preacher preach? Oh, girl. <laughs> what did he preach? I don't have my bulletin on me, but man. Oh, my goodness. Well, what chapter was it? Well, he started. So we going, you just need to come to my church. And that's all good. We want to celebrate Jesus. I love good substance with a great closing. Man, that's, that's great. But the power does not rest in eloquent wisdom. In fact, Paul was one of the most educated men. When you uh, talk to New Testament scholars and they talk about his Greek, they say it was pristine. His play on words are poetic. But he tells the church at Corinth, I intentionally did not come in that way. Because I knew that all you would hear and all you would walk away with is my intelligence and my ability to woo you with my words. And the thing that has the power will be emptied. What has the power? Look at what he says. And I'm out your way. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Power is not an eloquent wisdom. It's not a a person's ability to to bring you some new philosophy and play on words. It's not in a preacher's ability to hoop and to not use notes and to look a certain way. The Christian power is found in the cross of Jesus. In the cross of Jesus alone. Everything else is just urine. It's just wasteful. No substance. Doesn't give life. Blood gives life. Not urine. And when we take people, our prejudices, when we take people, our pastor, when we take people, our our education, when we take to people, our significance, when we name drop and when we get in our cliques and our divisions, we are peeing on people. But when we take people, the blood of Jesus, when we take people, a message of the cross, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my sins rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. Said at the cross is where I find satisfaction. At the cross is where I find happiness. At the cross is where I find for forgiveness of sins. At the cross is where I find my significance. At the cross is where I find my identity. Because at the cross, an innocent man died for the guilty so that the guilty man can become innocent. At the cross is where I hear Jesus say, my child, you are forgiven. My child, you are made whole. My child, I know what you did yesteryear, but but I don't even remember it anymore. My child, my body was broken in order that you could be whole. So the power is in getting people to see that they are new creatures in Christ because of what Christ did for them. Not what your pastor did for you. I love you, but I'm not going to get crucified for you. By God's grace, I'll get crucified for, for you, for Jesus, but I don't know. I might. Depends on what I had for breakfast that morning. But Jesus, he got crucified for you. 
He saw you when you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. When you were an enemy of his, he died for you. Promote Jesus. Preach Jesus. Shout about Jesus. Get excited about what he did for you on Calvary's cross. That's who we need to lift up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. I declare when we go home with a mindset to lift up Jesus, that unsaved loved one wants to become saved. When we go to work with a mindset to lift up Jesus, that coworker can be saved. When we go home to lift up Jesus, our spouse can be saved. Our child can be saved. But when we're at those places and we're just jockeying for position to lift up ourselves, we're not giving people life. We're giving people us. Give people Jesus. Only Jesus can heal you. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the bright and morning star. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the one that the Pharisees couldn't stand, and yet they couldn't trap. He's the one that rose on the third day declaring, all power is given unto me. The church's power is in Jesus not in in anything else. So what do you do? You say, you know what? I am promoting myself. I I, I do find myself constantly trying to prove myself to other people. I do name drop. When I'm around certain people, I do feel like I have to let them know that I'm educated and that I can go round and round with them even though I don't have the, the same degree that they have. I want to encourage you to look to the cross. Because at the cross, you meet a God who says, you are accepted. You are loved. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. My grace is sufficient. Let them boast on. Let them get that fool's gold. The only way that you can promote Jesus and boast on Jesus is if you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the job of the Holy Spirit is to promote Jesus, to point to Jesus. And some of us, we just can't promote Jesus because we've never been saved. We may have been churched, but we've never made Jesus our Lord, meaning sovereign ruler. Today I want to invite you to make Jesus your Lord. I'm not telling you to be cool with Jesus. And I'm not telling you to just to know Jesus. I'm telling you to be known by Jesus. By submitting your life to him and inviting him into every room in your spiritual house. From the kitchen to the basement to the bedroom. Saying, Jesus, you're Lord. Knowing Jesus is the best decision you can make. Someone here does not, is not known by Jesus. I want to invite you to know him. The Bible says he's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. Come and know him. Come and know him. Come and let him consume your heart to the point that you get bored talking about you. Do you ever get bored talking about you and just think like, man, I'd rather be talking about Jesus right now. If you never get bored talking about you, 
And you never get excited talking about Jesus? Maybe you should ask, Lord, Lord, have you consumed my heart? Or maybe you just need a, a spiritual checkup and to be revitalized, like Chef Paul gave this church. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you will help us to promote Jesus and his blood, which rescues and delivers and transforms. Help us not to be, allow our preferences to become our prejudices. Help us not to allow our differences to become what divide us. Help us to rally around Jesus, rally around his word, not entertainment. Help us to check our own heart and say, Lord, who am I promoting? Am I looking to promote myself? Am I looking for people to say, I follow Jamal? Am I looking for people to say, I follow Christ? Do surgery on us and heal us. And Father, I pray for that Christian marriage that's struggling right now, where there's division in the house and they can't agree on anything because they're constantly trying to prove each other wrong. I pray, Father God, that you would help them to not be a duel, but to be a duet. Help them to rally around Jesus and to say, this home belongs to Jesus. And whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus wants done, that's what we're going to do. Help that wife to submit to the leadership of her husband as he submits them to the Lord. And help that husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. I pray for that, that child who says that they're a Christian but who doesn't submit to their parents doesn't submit to their teachers, who doesn't submit to your word. Save them. Rescue them with your grace. In Jesus' name.